Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you're turning, I want to share greetings from uh, Brother Jim Price. I talked to him, I believe it was Monday or Tuesday uh, this week. They were in Manitoba, and uh, he wanted to ask me to greet the folks here. He also, uh, because they've been so busy and on the road, hadn't had a chance, but and I think he sent a letter as well, but he asked me to thank the church for the, uh, the Christmas gift uh, that we sent. Said it was a great blessing and a help. Be praying for uh, Brother Jim as they uh, continue travels and raising support. And I wanted to share that greeting with you. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 10. I'm going to talk about four proofs of God's love. Four proofs. Now... There's a whole lot more than that. I was talking with Brother Colton uh, for a few moments this afternoon. We're talking about math. Uh, that's not a that's a weird Sunday afternoon discussion, mathematics. And we're talking about uh, calculus. That's an even weirder Sunday afternoon. Amen, Brother Maud. That's a weird afternoon discussion. And I was explaining a couple things and talking about proofs. And uh, I hated proofs. I hate proving anything in mathematics because when I did math, my brain isn't wired like everybody else's brain. Your brain works and my brain doesn't work. And uh, my circuits are wired all different. And uh, I can find the answer, but I don't follow the same path you, found, you followed to get it. And uh, I used to go back and forth with my math teacher over some of my proofs. Uh, and I would say, look, is my answer right or not? Yes, but you couldn't have got the answer the way you did it. I said, look, did I get the answer right or not? And we would go back and forth, and I, I probably should have been a little more uh, submissive to her. But uh, I, I didn't like showing proofs. God likes to show proofs. And by the way, he proves every day his love for you. His mercy is new every morning. Amen. Every morning when you see the sun come up, teenagers... Did you know that that thing, the, the, the bright thing up in the sky, it actually disappears at night and it comes back up early in the morning? Uh, it's not always in the sky, but when it comes up every morning, uh, it's a reminder that he rose from the dead, a reminder of his love for us. And we, we could look at hundreds and thousands of proofs tonight, but I just in this one little passage in Ephesians chapter 2, I want to take a few moments uh, just to enjoy uh, some time together in his word, uh, just to relish in what God's done. Uh, just to praise him, just to worship him tonight. Look with me here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Let's pray together. Lord, my heart tonight, my desire is that we would worship you and glorify you this evening. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. Lord, we get a few glimpses into heaven you've given us in your word. 
Lord, John would have written much more if you would have allowed him, but the few glimpses that you allowed John to give us, Lord, it seems every time I see through the windows of heaven, I see worship and I see praise. And Lord, tonight I pray as you taught the disciples to pray, would you make it a little bit like heaven on earth tonight? God, would you help us to worship you a little bit tonight the way we will worship you forever in heaven. Lord, someday we will bow before the throne and cry out with the angels and cry out with the saints of God, worthy is the Lamb. But Lord, tonight you're already worthy. Lord, thank you for your great love for us. Help us tonight, Lord, to direct our worship and our praise to you as we look at these proofs of your love for us. Help me, Lord, to preach you right your truth. God, may you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. What would God have to do to prove his love for you? What would it take for us to say, I know, I know without a doubt that God loves me. And Would it take more money? Would it take better health? Would it take greater happiness in your life? More comfort? A better job? A bigger house? A newer car? What would it take? March 31st, 1995, I think it was. I think that's right, maybe 94. My wife will correct me later. That was my birthday. By the way, there's just a few shopping days left to my birthday. Be aware of that. <laughs> but my wife and I had been dating. We had our first date December 7th, maybe, or 8th. And then this is March 31st. It was a little over three and a half months later. I met her that day as I was going out to go to work. And she gave me a cupcake. It was a Otis Spunkmeyer, I think. Uh, chocolate, double chocolate, I think. Chocolate chip, chocolate cupcake. She had a candle on it. Uh, you know, she couldn't bake a cake in her room, so she bought a cupcake. And did you give me something else that day? I don't remember. I don't think so. She's a cheapskate. And uh, she gave me that cupcake <laughs> and as a birthday gift. And that day... As I was driving to work, as I got in my 1977 Ford Granada piece of garbage, and as I was going to work, me and my buddies, I looked over at the fellow who was my best friend in Bible college. His name's Jeremy. I talked to him just a couple weeks ago. It was his, it was his birthday, actually, a couple weeks ago. I looked over at him, and I said, Jeremy, I'm going to marry Carrie. I'm going to... I'm going to ask her to marry me at Christmas, and we're going to get married next summer. And he said, does she know this? I said, no, but I'm going to tell her. Now, when my wife heard that story later, she decided it must have been the cupcake. So, so girls, that's the secret. you got to give the cupcakes. But the cupcake had nothing to do with it. Too many times, all the little things that we think we want from God, they have nothing to do with God's love. 
But I want us to look tonight at some things that do have everything to do with the love of God. Everything God does, everything God does, he does for a specific purpose. He, he does nothing without cause. He does nothing without purpose. His efforts to mankind are always, if we look in the, the account of creation in Genesis, all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament, we see that God is always dealing with man to show man his love. Always. He, he, he loves us. He, he does nothing by chance. God does nothing in desperation. There's a wonderful old song, and part of that song goes, of you know, God searched through heaven looking for... God didn't search through heaven. I, I, I like the song. I, I understand the premise. Salvation was not a desperation move. God didn't have to scramble and back in the, the back. Oh, no, man, what am I going to do now? Man, sin. Where do I throw the ball? No, it was planned from eternity. It always was. God knew. So everything God does and everything God has ever done is for because he loves man. God never throws anybody away. For a little over a year now, God's put a burden on my heart. I'm going to have to do something about it pretty soon, but God's burdened me to, to do something that is pretty outside my normal wheelhouse. But I'm, I guess the Lord's going to, I'm either going to do it or God's going to kill me probably God's burdened me to write a book with that premise of don't throw them away we live in a culture today Christian culture where we give the gospel out and we try to reach people and so many churches if that person we reach is not the instant Christian that we think they ought to be if they don't look the way we think they ought to look and talk the way we think they ought to talk and do everything exactly the way we think they ought to in a couple of weeks, we want to toss them away and get started again. God doesn't do that. I love the story in the book of Jeremiah. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he looked through the window and watched the potter as he worked at the wheel. And he watched as the potter broke the vessel. But he didn't throw the clay away. He simply started again. Christian, we need to understand the love of God, that God doesn't throw you away. He doesn't throw me away. He desires to use us and to mold us and to make us. Now, does that mean that we're, I'm going to be able to do everything God has wanted me to do? There are times that because of some brokenness that I can't be all that God had wanted would want for me but that doesn't mean God throws me away I love the picture there of Jeremiah as he looks in the potter's house we look at God's love so often through what happens to us daily we look at it as wow something good happened today God loves me 
Oh, man, today was a bad day. Brother Maude fell on the stairs. Boy, it's a bad day. God must not love me. I'm a little worried. My enemy is now attacking you. We have the same enemy, the stairs. We look at, oh, this is good. Okay, I have a good day. This is bad. I've got a good day. Most of you probably know this. My family knows this for sure. If anyone asks me how I'm doing, what do I say, Rebecca? How are you? I say, I'm beautiful. Exactly. No, I'm not beautiful. But I've learned not to gauge how I'm doing according to what's happening in my life. God loves me. When I fall down the stairs, he still loves me. When I, when I disobey him, he still loves me. We look for God's love in the things that happen to us. And we say, God, why are you doing that? We question God. God answers back many times, I believe. Not audibly, but he answers back because I love you. Because I love you. I want to take just a few moments tonight, and I, I don't think I'll be lengthy this evening, but I want to share four thoughts, four proofs of God's love, and then I want to shift gears just a little bit for just a couple very small points into the message. Number one, we find this proof in our text. We're going to be looking just in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Would you look there with me? Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, for with he loved us even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? Proof number one, he quickened me. He quickened me. He made me alive. When I met Brother Bonnie ten and a half years ago, is that right? Brother Bonnie was a dead man walking. He was dead. He was lost. He grew up with a religious past, but he was lost. He believed the Bible, but he was lost. He believed who Jesus was, but he was lost. But just a little over 10 years ago, God took a dead man and he made him alive. Your testimony tonight, Christian, if you are born again, child of God, is you were dead. You were dead in trespasses and sins. But he quickens you. When I was in grade 7, I came home from school one day. I walked down the hallway of our home, down the hallway past the bathroom, past the laundry in the hallway, and in my room was on the left, my sister's room, my room. I walked out of my room. When I walked out of my room to go back down the hallway, I looked, and there in the middle of the hallway was a tennis ball. Now I'm a hillbilly. I guarantee you there was no tennis racket, brother, within 100 miles of my house. There was not a tennis ball there because I played tennis. There was a tennis ball on my floor because I had a dog, Boston Terrier. And I looked down the hallway, through the living room, into the kitchen, and laying in the kitchen floor was my dog, stone cold asleep. How many have ever heard a Boston Terrier snore? They sound worse than Pastor Rice snoring, and I'm pretty bad. He was snoring. He was out of it. And in my little juvenile 
12-year-old brain, I hatched a plan. I thought, how cool would it be to line up that tennis ball, kick the tennis ball down the hallway, hit the dog, wake him up. I mean, that's, that sounds fun, doesn't it? So that's my plan. So no shoes on in the house. You know, I ran back to kick the tennis ball, and I kicked it about three inches before you got to the tennis ball on the ground. My big toe snapped in half. The bone broke, and the bone went through the toenail. Blood began to forcefully... Colton, you having, you having trouble yet? I know it's... He's, a, he's very visionary when he hears. Blood is spraying, and I began to scream. My loving mother, she's probably watching still, uh, she yelled at me to be quiet. She might have even said a, a real foul word like, shut up. I don't know what she said, but she's, what's wrong with you? Be quiet. What are you screaming about? My dad was on the roof of our house. He was working on fixing the roof on the back porch. My dad heard my scream through the roof. And he knew something was horribly wrong. My dad jumped off the roof. I don't mean he took the ladder. He jumped off the roof, came in the house, came in, and there I am. Blood squirting. They took me to the hospital. They had to kind of almost kind of set my toe a bit. And they had to cut the rest of the toenail off. And then they had to stitch because the bone went through the toe. They had to stitch the quick, what we call the, the meat underneath the nail. They had to put stitches across that. Now, there's a reason they call that quick. There, there's no doubt. There's some feeling there. And I remember that my dad holding me down, the nurses holding me down, and that was just to get the needle near me, Brother Maud. I hate needles. And they're stitching that quick. It's very much alive. You and I were dead, in Christ, dead without Christ. But he made us very much alive. How do I know God loves me? A lot of reasons, but I can look here in this passage and tell you tonight that God loves me because he quickened me. He made me alive. He gave me spiritual life. He's quickened us in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. Letter E there, he quickened us in Christ Jesus. It's an expression of his mercy and his love towards us. In verse 4, we were dead in sins. In verse 5, we were hell bound. Ephesians 2, 1 says, and you. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. I like the way Matthew Henry says it. Matthew Henry, uh, commentator of years gone by. Matthew Henry said, grace is the soul. Grace in the soul is a new life in the soul. As death locks up the senses, seals up all the powers and faculties, so does the state of sin. As to anything that is good, grace unlocks and opens all and enlarges the soul. Observe, a regenerate sinner becomes a living soul. Praise God for that. 
He lives a life of sanctification, being born of God. He lives in the sense of the law, being delivered from the guilt of sin by pardoning and justifying grace. He hath quickened us together with Christ. Our spiritual life, Mr. Henry said, our spiritual life results from our union with Christ. It is in Him that we live. As Jesus said, because I live, He shall live also. How do I know He loves me? From this passage, because He made me alive. He gave you life. He gave you spiritual life. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How can we question the love of God? When He said, I love you this much. Oh, I wanted more, God. He gave you everything. He gave everything that you and I might be alive. That we might have life eternal. Greater love hath no man than this, the Bible says in John 15. That a man lay down his life for his friends. Romans 5, 8, but God, and I love this verse, probably one of my top Ten favorite verses in the Bible. But God committeth his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while I was getting better. Not once I became spiritual. Not once I cleaned up my life. But while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for us. I didn't have to improve myself. Matter of fact, it wouldn't have made a difference if I did. I didn't have to prove to him I was lovable. Why? I'm not lovable. He decided to love me. He loved me as I was. He died for the ungodly. By the way, he died for those that we wouldn't die for. When you think of the, the most evil and vile people in our world and in the past, we think of people like Timothy McVeigh. Became popular this last year. And uh, pop culture. Can I tell you that as wicked and vile as the crimes that Mr. McVeigh committed. He, I'm sorry, Mr. Dahmer and Mr. Mr. McVeigh bombing the tower. Uh, Mr. Dahmer, who I was thinking of, who killed and ate people and stored body parts, as wicked as all that was. God said, I, I'm, I want to make available to him salvation. Had he trusted Christ? Charles Manson. The vilest person you can think of in the world that we go, oh, that, pff, that's wicked. You know what God says? I love them. I love them. He wants to make them whole. He wants to quicken them. We live in a system that knows nothing of love. We know a perverted understanding of love. But I want to assure you tonight that God loves you. And he doesn't love you because he wants to get something from you. He doesn't love you because he, he's, he's trying to uh, earn something. He just loves you. And his love isn't temporary, it's everlasting. It's forever and forever and forever and forever. How many of you have ever eaten something that you love so much, you ate so much of it, it made you sick and you didn't want to eat it again? You ever been there? What was it, Josh? My food? <laughs> well, as a boy, I, I like sauerkraut. How many of you like sauerkraut? We made sauerkraut when I was a boy. I like sauerkraut. 
I think sauerkraut's awesome, Brother Mike. It's good stuff. I still like it. But as a young boy, about nine years old, I decided to eat a whole jar of sauerkraut. And I ate a whole jar of sauerkraut. I should have good gut bacteria the rest of my life, Brother Krim. I was sick. I was real sick. I mean sick, sick, sick. I didn't want to eat sauerkraut for a long time. God never gets sick of you. He loves us with an everlasting love. For Sean 4, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, dwelleth God dwelleth with him, and he and God. And we know and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. God's proven his love through the Son, Jesus Christ. Number two. The number two proof we find here in this passage quickly tonight. Which we find in verse 6. And he hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Proof number two tonight. He raised me up. He raised me up. He raised you up. You know, remember when Jesus Christ was nailed to that cross, all of my sin, all of your guilt and my guilt and your sin and my sin was placed on Him. All of it. I don't believe for one second that Jesus made a limited atonement. Those that would try to pervert the gospel to say that Jesus only died for a certain portion of sin. Can I tell you that if that were true, then Jesus Christ is a liar. And we ought to burn this book. Because he said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If the Bible doesn't mean that, if, if it doesn't mean everybody, if there's someone who, no, he didn't die for your sin, he died for yours and not for yours, then God's a liar. And he's a charlatan, and he can't be trusted. Rather, he died for all. He bore all sin, every bit of it, all of sin. It was, it was on him on the cross. It was, hold on, when he came off of that cross, was buried with him, was buried with him. I remember, I believe it was my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom that I preached back in 90, it was 98. My wife and I have been married a few years. I think my memory's right. I remember at the funeral, my, my cousins, I remember them all taking a note and folding that note up, placing that note in the casket. To be buried with her. Can I tell you when Jesus was placed in that tomb. Your sin was placed there with him. The sin that he bore on Calvary. He took to the tomb. So pastor what's the big deal about that? What's the big deal about Jesus. Taking my sin to the tomb. Because he didn't stay there. He rose again. He, 
he rose again, meaning that sin was put ever behind him. In the book of Psalm chapter 103, verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dwelt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are but dust. Look at verse 6 again in our text. It says, And hath raised us up together, and made us set together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice that phrase, hath raised us up together. Can I tell you those that know the English language better than I do will tell you that that phrase there uh, is something that is past tense. Not he's going to, but he already did. He hath raised us up. So preacher, when did that happen? When did he raise me up? Three days and three nights after they placed the body of our lovely Lord on the ground, when he rose again, you were raised with him. I was raised with him. He was raised incorruptible. Guess what, Christian? I was raised incorruptible in him. I know he loves me. I see the proof of his love. He, he quickened me. He made me alive. He raised me up with him. If you will, I was nailed to that cross with him. I was buried with him. I was risen with him. He brought within the redemption our new creation. I'm not just saved from hell. And I praise God I'm saved from hell. I'm glad I'm not going to hell. But can I tell you, can I tell you tonight that salvation is not just fire insurance from hell. I, I'm glad that I, there's no chance that I can go to hell. I had, I had two people yesterday tell me to go to hell. Brother Mud, I had one person tell me to do things that were physically impossible. I had, had some very rude people yesterday. But two different people told me to go to hell yesterday. That was their words. Now, I didn't say it. I, 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 here's what I said. I said, God bless you. <laughs> that was my answer as I was trying to get my gospel track. But what I wanted to say was I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Amen. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry you want me to go there, but I can't go. I, I have, I'm saved from hell, but I am saved to heaven. I am raised up. And Christian, let's not forget what we have. Let's worship him. Let's praise him for what he's done as we see his love. I'm made alive. I am risen with him. What a wonderful thing. He's forgiven me. He's pardoned me. He's regenerated me. He's adopted me. He's cleansed me. He's given me a home in heaven. He, he's with me. He's never leave me, never forsake me. And one day he's going to come back and say, Hey, come up here. And I'm going. How wonderful. I'm risen with him. All of this is done in Christ Jesus. So here's the question. Why do we live like we're part of this world? Why do we live like the people of earth? When Carrie was giving birth to Rebecca, it was a very 
very traumatic experience. It was very difficult. It was very dangerous few moments. The doctor came, tried one last procedure, and she told me, she said, Mr. Rice, if this doesn't work right here, right now, on this bed in this room, I am doing emergency cesarean section. It was some tense moments. I, I deal with tense moments with humor. Maybe you've understood that about me. But our doctor, she walked in and she had this, you'd almost thought COVID was in the air. She had a mask on. She had this plastic shield on. She had rubber gloves on. She had her hands up like this. And she was a, I can't remember what nationality she was, maybe East Indian, I think, lady, little lady. She came in and she looked like some kind of alien creature because of all the stuff she had on. And she walked in like this. And uh, quietly to the two nurses that were with me, I said, take me to your leader. Uh, they thought it was funny. She didn't think it was funny at all. Uh, Rebecca thought it was funny. She was laughing in the womb, but they didn't think it was funny. <laughs> Carrie was punching me. But Now, we joke about, you know, oh, not of this world, you know, something extraterrestrial. I think they've been shooting down on UFOs here the last couple weeks. Anyway, you and I, we're not of this world. We are not terrestrial. We are extraterrestrial. We belong to heaven. I've already been raised up in him. There's no reason for me to live like I belong. I, I, I've been made an heir of God, joint heirs with Christ. Eternity is my time frame. So many things we could go into tonight, but we see the love of God in him raising us up. Number three here in our text. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. Then in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Number 3 tonight, we see here that he shows grace. He shows kindness. Now, if... I'll let Brother Eric be God tonight. His wife would never hear the end of it if he got to be God. But if Brother Eric were God, and somebody came up and smacked him in the face. I mean, just pop! Brother Eric's a mild-mannered, genteel gentleman. But I have a feeling if you pop Brother Eric in the face one too many times, he's not going to show grace and kindness. There's going to be a point, like, like Popeye. How many of you remember Popeye? Uh, but Mark, you said your dad said Popeye was your favorite. That was my favorite cartoon as a kid. Popeye's chicken. <laughs> That's my favorite chicken now. But Popeye was my favorite cartoon as a kid. And Popeye had the phrase... I've stood all I could stand, and I can't stand no more. And he'd be pushed just to the edge until finally he was ready to fight. Let's just be real honest. If you were God and you had to deal with you, there would come a point. The point would have come a long time ago where I would have said, Brian Rice, you're done. And yet God shows me grace. He shows me kindness. Amen. What is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. 
Grace, getting something good I do not deserve. Kindness, why? Not because of who you are, but because of who he is. How wonderful here. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. Not just here. Here's a little bit of grace. The exceeding riches of his grace and kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Here we see his love for the present and all for the future. It's not I want to give you something now, but not later. He wants to give us all throughout our relationship with him and through all eternity grace, kindness. God shows his love every day. Every day. It is of his mercies that we are not consumed. Mr. Edwards, Jonathan Edwards, that preached during the Great Awakening. Mr. Edwards, who typed out or wrote down, not typed, he, he wrote down his messages. He was very poor of seeing. He would write his messages out word for word. He was not an orator. He was not a great public speaker. He would write out word for word his message. And it's said of Mr. Edwards that he would bend his head where he was face to face. Probably, probably have macular degeneration, some sort of vision problem. And she would get very close to his notes and he would read them. It's said in a monotone voice, Brother Mon. It wasn't about the preaching of Jonathan Edwards. It was about the Holy Spirit of God that led Mr. Edwards to preach the Holy Book of God. And as Mr. Edwards would preach his famous sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, people, not at the invitation, during the service, sinners would crawl on their hands and knees to the altar, begging God to save them. But in his message, he said that we are as a sinner, we are but held by the very spider thread above the very pit of hell. At any moment, could be plunged headlong. Can I tell you, that's where I was. But that's not where I am. Now I have His grace. Now I have His kindness. How wonderful that is. How wonderful that we have the proof of his love. By the way, that grace and kindness speaks of safety. Speaks of assurance. I've been in some dangerous places. I've been in some places that were very, very dangerous. I joke with people once in a while, some of the worst parts of Edmonton. I've been in playgrounds that were more dangerous than Edmonton. I, I've, I've been in some scary situations. I've been in some dangerous situations. But those times I've been in dangerous situations, it was because and while I was sharing the gospel. And I'll be real honest with you, there's never been a time when I've been in a dangerous place sharing the gospel when I've been fearful. Probably because I'm just a, a dummy. But I, I just knew I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> The Lord knows. If he wants me here, then I'm supposed to be here. I remember going in a building, and as I went to go in the building, the police in the police station at the bottom of the building looked at me and said, don't go in here. If you go in that elevator and you do not come back, Chicago police, they told me, we will not come look for you. 
We don't care what happens to you after you go in that door. We're not coming up there. Just so you know, you're on your own. That's not good. Why? Because I like dangerous situations? No, because I needed to share the gospel in that building. Can I tell you that God's grace and kindness are enough? Does that mean that I'm always going to be safe? No. But it means I'll always be where God wants me to be. I'll always be in his will as long as I trust him. By the way, Peter, when he was crucified upside down, he was in God's hand. So, but pastor, hold on a minute. That's pretty dangerous. That, that's not a good thing. He glorified God even in death. We get so hung up on our perceived safety and our perceived enjoyment of life that we forget that it's about God's glory, God's blessing. We see his kindness. We see his grace. The Bible says in Jude, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. By the way, let me, let me stop here just a moment. This isn't the message. But just in case there's anybody here that's struggling with this understanding of eternal security, if you think that you can lose your salvation, then you think God is not able. The Bible tells us right here he's able. Now, what does it say about God if he's able to keep you and he doesn't? Either he's a liar or he's evil. True? One of those things has to be true. So for me to believe, I'd have to throw away so many doctrines, but for me to believe that I could lose my salvation, I've got to either accept that God is evil or God is a liar. That's it. There, there, there's, you can't rectify it any other way. He's able. He's able to keep me from falling, to present me faultless before the presence of glory with exceeding joy. Jude 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Number four, lastly tonight, verse number 10 in our text, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto Good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Number four tonight is we see the next proof of God's love for us. He created you. Not only did he create you, but he created you for good works. Good works. For good works. I, I, I love this thought. And number one, we're his workmanship. We're his workmanship. I haven't for years, but years ago I used to build, I used to do some bowyering. How many of you know what bowyering is? Brother Darren's done some bowyering. Uh, I, I used to build longbows. And I several years ago now, probably 16, 17, 18, 19, maybe 19 years ago, I decided to build one for my dad. 
and I didn't use fiberglass. I used God's fiberglass. How many of you know what God's fiberglass is? Bamboo. And I, I did a tri-lamb bow, and I built it out of the front of the bow, the side when you pull the bow, the side people see facing away from you was raw bamboo. And then two other laminations glued together in a coal and a form. And uh, after I glued it into the shape I wanted, then I, I cut it down to shape and profiled and sanded. And I finished that bow. I created it. I crafted it. I wrote, I think, on the top bottom limb or top limb, I can't remember, facing the person holding the bow, Two letters inside of quotation marks. A P and an A. How many of you know what that stands for? Paul. That's what I call my dad most of the time. I call him Paul. One time we were out soul winning together 20 years ago in a church van in West Virginia. And I said something. I called my dad Paul. And as I got out, one of the men said, Marcus, I... Is your first name Paul? I always thought your first name was Marcus. Uh, but I wrote Paul on that bow. I, I created it. It was crafted by me. It was a gift I gave to my dad. Now, most likely that bow will never be worth millions of dollars uh, because I'm not a sought-after bowyer. I'm not a well-known crafter of bows. Because I made it has no intrinsic value to anyone else except my dad. However, there are some things in this world that are much more valuable because who made them? Many years ago, I was sent a gift from a man that I never, I've still never met. A man that I had helped with something I met online and he decided to send me a gift. He was driving through the area where I grew up, and general area, probably within 10 miles as the crow flies across the river from where my family live. And he stopped in a little country store, little everything store, gas station. Uh, as Lois knows what I'm talking about, little general store of everything. They don't exist much up here, but little place, probably half the size of this building inside. And just a little bit of everything, you go in, you can get a few things, and that's it. In the back of the building, there was a, a little wood-burning stove, a little pot-belly stove, and some chairs where you go and sit and play checkers, that kind of place down south. Most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, they, there in that area near the wood-burning stove and the checkers, there was an old tub. I think it was an old uh, bin of some kind, maybe a vegetable bin, maybe an old barrel, actually, come to think of it, he told me, but there's a bunch of just old things in there, and there was an old knife, an old hunting knife, and this guy saw that old hunting knife in this little general store in this little town near where he knew that I was from that area, and he thought, I want to do something nice to pay him back. He paid a few bucks, maybe 20, 30, maybe 50 bucks, I don't remember, he bought this old knife. It was in a ratty sheath that was falling apart. The knife was pitted and old. And he sent it to me as a gift, and I, I was overwhelmed. That's really neat. That's really awesome, really cool old knife. And thanks to the wonders of the Internet and the interwebs, I began to look, and there was a name on the knife. The name was Morseth. 
I began to Google Mr. Morseth. I began to look for the knives that he created that looked like that. And I began to learn something that caused me to message that man and say, Sir, I cannot accept this gift. I, I need to mail it back to you. I realized that that knife, although it was rough and although it was a little ugly and although the sheath was falling apart, it was very valuable. Not because of its condition. It was very valuable because who made it. And I told the man, I said, sir, I'm sending this back to you. I said, I can't accept this gift. It's worth a lot of money. And he said, if you mail it back to me, I'm going to send it back up. He said, I bought it for you. I only paid whatever it was for it. He said, it's yours. And I told him, I said, sir, I'm not going to sell it. I said, I'll keep it uh, as a reminder of your love and you know, appreciation, the gift he sent me. Several years later, a friend who's a custom knife maker stole it from my house and made it look brand new again, and his wife made a custom sheath for it. That didn't add value to the knife, but the value, as far as the world's concerned for that knife, is because of the man, the famous man that made it. That's its value. Christian, can I tell you your value? You were created by him. The master. The master made you. The creator of all things. I have his love because he signed me. His signature. He made me. He made you in his image. I was made by God. I was his workmanship. I've been created in Christ Jesus. And notice the phraseology here in Ephesians 2. Unto good works. Created, by the way, means you didn't just happen. It was purposed. It was planned. I was created in Christ for a specific purpose. I need to find out what that is. Ephesians 4.11 in our text, or just a few verses away, a couple chapters away, says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God has something for you. He made you. Your worth is because of him, not because of you. These good works we have mentioned here have been preordained or foreordained by God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 8 says, this is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. I want to make a statement. If you have a pen, I encourage you to write it down. I believe a, a powerful statement about this truth. Notice in our text here, we were created, Christian, you and I were created to walk in these good works. Don't miss that. You and I were created to walk in these good works. So, listen to this statement. They await your doing. God created you to walk in those works. 
Can I tell you that they're waiting on you? They await you to do them. They await me to do them. By the way, when I do obey the Lord Jesus Christ, when I follow Him, when I honor Him in my life, I am realizing every step, every work, everything I do is a reminder, God loves me. God loves me. I've got a dear friend who got saved out of serious alcoholism and drunkenness and drugs and horrible, horrible life. Him and his wife, before they got saved, they used to get high on drugs and get angry at each other and shoot at each other with pistols in the house. And I don't mean they were pretending. I mean, they were trying to kill each other. But they would get so high on drugs that amazingly God spared them. They didn't. Several times they tried to kill each other. Somewhere tonight, Brother Hicks is standing behind the pulpit like this, preaching the word of God as an evangelist in the southern U.S. Every time he opens the Bible and lays on the pulpit, it's a reminder. He used to be laying down lines of cocaine. He used to be laying down empty beer bottle after empty beer bottle. He used to be picking up the pistol and trying to kill his dear wife. Praise the Lord. God created him and ordained him to walk in good works. It's a reminder, Christian. I give that example because it's easy for you to see and, and see the difference. But I hope tonight you understand that the difference is in you as well. It's in you as well. So, Pastor, I, I was never a drunkard. I, I was never a drug addict. I never tried to kill my wife. Well, maybe I tried to kill my wife. But I, I, I didn't do those things. Remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins. He made you alive. He didn't just make you alive to make you a scarecrow to do nothing. God made you alive unto good works. And they're waiting for you to do them. Just a couple of thoughts as we close here tonight. How do we walk in good works? How do we walk in good works? Very, very quickly. By showing gratitude for redemption. By showing gratitude for redemption. Giving him praise for what he's done for us. For dying on the cross. For giving our sin. Placing us in the heavenlies. What if you were unsaved on your way to hell tonight? That's where you'd be without Jesus Christ. How do we walk in good works? By showing gratitude for redemption. Next, number two, by surrendering to sanctification. By surrendering to sanctification. I shared the story of my big toe breaking in half. They had to stitch it up. I didn't want them to stitch it up. I didn't want to surrender to have it stitched up. My dad and a bunch of nurses had to hold me down so they could stick needles in me and then they could sew me up. But it needed to be done. It had to be done. You and I need to surrender to letting God set us apart and sanctify us for his purpose. 
to the growth process. First Peter or Second Peter chapter one verse five. I'm not going to turn there tonight, but virtue, on knowledge, on temperance, on patience, on godliness, on brotherly kindness, on love. We need to surrender to that process. Number three, how do we walk in good works? I'm going to close with this thought tonight. By serving. By serving in all areas of good works. What is it God wants you to do? Not what is it God wants the pastor to do. Not what is it God wants your spouse to do or your your child to do or, or Brother Colton to do. What's God want you to do? Hey, teenager, what's God want you to do? Oh, I'm just a teenager. <coughs> David, a teenager, walked down in the valley of Elam and said, you will not defy my God. He affected his whole country. His whole country. Young married couple, what's God want you to do? Older couple here tonight, maybe your kids are grown. What's God want you to do? What is it God wants you to do? Has he set something aside that he said, okay, I've got some works for you to do. At least once a week, sometimes a couple times a week, Colton and I will sit in my office, our office now, And I'll say to Colton, hey, here's some things I want you to do this week. He'll pull out a notebook. Okay. I'd like to get this, 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 and this done. Here you go. Now, I may ask him, hey, did we get that done? Is that, but that's not my work. That's his work. I believe God has work for you. He has good works for us. He's got them set aside. He created you unto good works. When God calls, just like little Samuel, the day's gone by. Won't you answer? What do you want, Lord? Okay. You know why you don't want to answer? Because you don't want to do what God wants you to do. I know. You know why? Because I don't always want to do what God wants me to do. How do we walk in good works? By serving in every area. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity tonight to walk in the works that you've prepared for us. Lord, we could spend so long talking about the proofs of love that you have for us. Lord, I praise you. I thank you. I want to worship you tonight for your goodness and your love. As well, Lord, tonight, I want us to walk in those works you have for us. Lord, I believe with all my heart tonight that you have prepared some works for every one of us. And, Lord, a lot of them don't get done. Because you prepared them for us, for no one else. God, would you help us to be surrendered tonight? Help us to walk in them. Help us to surrender to sanctification. Help us to praise you for our redemption. God, may we walk in that love.
that you've proven over and over and over again in scriptures. Lord, would you be glorified tonight during this time of invitation as we set aside some time just to worship you, to praise you, to yield to your purpose. May that be the case. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Remember Colton. Let's sing together. 301. Only trust him. Number 301. you're so good to us Lord we offer our praise and our worship to you for you're worthy of it Lord may we do more than sing your praises may we do more than lift up your name in this place with our brothers and sisters in Christ but may we publish your name among the heathen may we speak of your goodness every day may we be reminded of your love as we tell others of it. And God, may we find those works that you have for us. May we pick it up on our shoulder. And may we walk in that path and that plan that you have made just for us. How wonderful that purpose, that fulfillment. Bless us now, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of James, chapter 5. We're going to, obviously we've not expounded every truth from the book of James, but we're going to conclude our series through the book of James tonight. We're going to look at verses 19 through 20, and we're also going to parallel a little bit uh, back in the book of Galatians, and I know we started looking in the book of Galatians, I believe it was December of 2021. How many of you can remember that far back? That was like BC, I think, it was a long time ago. And uh, we're going to go back there and look uh, at a couple of verses and kind of parallel tonight. But look with me as we begin in James chapter 5, as we close out looking at the last two verses 
of the book of James. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, would you turn to Galatians with me? Uh, Galatians chapter 1. We're going to, I'm sorry, Galatians 6, excuse me, Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. And I believe here we see a, a passage that is a wonderful parallel to the last two verses of James. Galatians 6, 1, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted, bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, I believe the, the teaching tonight is vital for us. Lord, I believe it's not only vital for those in this room. Lord, I believe it's vital for those who aren't here tonight. Lord, all the way back, not long after the Garden of Eden. Lord, a man asked the question of you and said, Am I my brother's keeper? And Lord, tonight may we see we are our brother's and sister's keeper. Lord, I pray you give us a burden, give us a heart. Lord, to love one another. God, give us a vision of the purpose that you have for us in this matter of going after the backslider, of encouraging, of lifting up that one that has fallen, that one that's overtaken in fault. Lord, I pray you'd help me tonight. Lord, I need your help, Lord, to teach or write your truth this evening. Lord, bless us and help us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. We looked at two passages that are very similar tonight. We see that James, as well as the Apostle Paul, was given very similar thoughts to pen uh, because both of them, as also are we, were given the ministry of reconciliation or restoration. Uh, there were two ministries, by the way, committed to Peter. We've been looking at the making of a disciple in our adult Sunday school. And I, I'm, I'm really enjoying, I'm looking forward to teaching through the rest of the series as we're looking at Peter. But Peter was given, if you will, two ministries that were given to him. The first was to catch men. And we talked about that in the very first lesson we looked at, that Jesus said, come, follow me and I'll make you fisher of men. His first job, the first ministry he was given was to catch men. And he followed the Lord, and we're going to look at much of that in the next several months as we look in our adult Sunday school. But we find Peter, after he denied the Lord, we find him by the seashore when he came up to the Lord. And I love the fact that Jesus asked him the question three times, do you love me? And he gave Peter a chance to, to, to redo a mulligan, if you will. Peter said, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. As he cursed and swore there when Jesus was being tried. 
And by the seashore, he said, I love you. I love you. I love you. But in that conversation with Jesus that day, there was something else entrusted to Peter, and that was that he was to feed the flock of God. Can I tell you that all of us are entrusted, I believe, in some small way with both of those ministries, the work of soul winning and the work of soul shepherding, soul winning and soul shepherding. I want to share an illustration with you, and then I, I want to get to uh, the lesson tonight, several, several things I want to give you. Years ago, back in 2006, I believe it was, I had a friend with me, his name uh, is Joel, not your brother, and uh, another Joel, and Joel Blackburn. And Joel and I were in my little Bronco 2, and we were driving north, and uh, uh, Brother Ahmad knows where Bouchard Lake is there, and you know where, you know where that is up there. And uh, we were driving up, there was an old sand pit back in there, and uh, we were going back when you used to be able to go in there, now it's all blocked off and fenced off, but we were going to go in there, and we were going to sight in our rifles. And it was winter time, and it was icy, and uh, we were driving in my little Bronco 2, and it was uh, a rattle trap. And we were going down the road, and the road was really bad washboard, and on top of the fact it was a gravel road, washboard gravel road, really bad. The grader did horrible work. There was ice, and there, the roads were really, really slick. And, and I was driving too fast. So you take a washboard road with ice, driving too fast, in a rattle trap, piece of junk, and you can probably figure out what happened. As I'm going along, all of a sudden my little Bronco went, and we went off the road. And the road right there where it was is, is real high crown and then drops straight down. And it was like uh, uh, the Dukes of Hazard. There was no music for the Gerald. You know, Dixie wasn't playing as I was flying through the air, but I felt like Bo, Bo Duke because I was driving that, woo, as we're going through the air. And we were just, I mean, just, and praise the Lord, uh, a few years before, the Lord knew that this stupid pastor was going to do that so he he grew some willow bushes down there in that bottom and my truck hit the willow bushes before they hit the ground and it kind of slowed it down believe it or not didn't do any damage to my truck at all but I was way down in this bottom and we came to a stop and I looked over and both of us started laughing I said are you okay yeah you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. He says, the truck okay? I'm like, I don't know. Uh, we got out, and the truck was okay. And then Joel said, how are we going to get out of here? We can't drive out of here. So I got, on, I got my cell phone out. I think it was an iPhone 3G, not GS, iPhone 3G. Uh, maybe even before that. I might know it probably was a uh, Windows phone. I, I called a friend of mine who lived in Vimy. How many of you know where Vimy is? And a uh, dear friend of mine, he lives up in Worsley, northern Alberta now. I called Jerry. I said, Jerry, I said, I need some help. He said, what did you do, Brian? I said, I uh, kind of, you know, went off the road. He said, where are you? 
He knew the area. He's the one that showed me the area. He said, you were driving too fast on that road, weren't you, Brian? Yes, sir, I was. I said, I got Joel with me. He knew Joel, and he said, you two idiots. He said, okay. He said, I'll come get you. He came, him and his wife in the truck. His wife came to laugh at me. And uh, he had his truck on the other side of the road, and we ran the winch cable down, and we eventually, he pulled me back up on the road. I believe tonight there are a whole lot of Christians in the ditch. There's a whole lot of Christians. Oh, they're on their way to heaven. Why? Because eternal salvation is just that. It's eternal. But they're in the ditch. They're struggling. Most often they're not asked. They're not calling for help. But they need somebody to go after them. Somebody to help them. Someone, as the Bible says here, if a man be take, overtaken in a fault. It doesn't say if they call and ask you. It says... Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the book of Galatians. And as believers, we are called not only to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, not only to share the gospel, we're called to that. But we're also called to be looking in the ditches, to be helping to get others back on track, back to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. As I mentioned in the book of Genesis chapter 4, Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? And we asked the same question. Well, it's not my fault. It's not my job. It sure is. If we're to be spiritual, it sure is. We're, we're responsible. Uh, we're to help. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to give you some points here tonight. We're going to look at some thoughts here from the last two verses in the book of James. Number one this evening and I want you let me get the statement out so you un, and understand it before you go. What are you saying, Pastor Rice? Those who truly love and truly belong to the Lord are in danger of backsliding. Are. Now, we say, oh no, if I truly love the Lord, if I if I'm truly belong to the Lord, I'm not in danger. No, can I tell you that uh, the ones who truly belong to the Lord, the ones who uh, truly love the Lord, we are, all of us, in danger. Paul said, yet go I. Understand, we are in danger. Why? You know, the easiest possible thing for any of us to do is to backslide. Now, that word backslide is very misunderstood, and so much false teaching and false doctrine is built on that word that we've got to uh, understand uh, what that means. The Bible speaks about having an error in the way or straying from the truth or failing to apply the truth in our life, not obeying the truth in our life, uh, moral lapse, if you will, failure in conduct, if you will. Uh, no one's immune. What backsliding is not is losing your salvation. Backsliding is not uh, getting out of the grace of God. Backsliding is not removing yourself from the love of God. None of those things are possible. Rather, backsliding, a backslider is one who is born again, one who is in the, the perfect care of the Lord Jesus Christ, one who is eternally saved, by the way, one who is eternally loved as well. 
but who is, has an error in the way, who's on the side of the road in the ditch a bit in their Christian life. And why is it that we are in danger of backsliding? There, there's three reasons. There's three great enemies. Now, many of you say, yeah, the enemies are the cold outside. Uh, that's the enemy. Our government's the enemy. Uh, my, my boss is the enemy. Uh, you know, my, my wife or my husband or my children, that's the enemy. No, what's the enemy? There's three enemies. Number one, the world without. The world without. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, the world is described as the present evil age. By the way, can I tell you when that word was penned first? Almost 2,000 years ago. Almost 2,000 years ago as God gave Paul the words to pen to the church at Galatia. He said, this present evil age. The evil in our world is nothing new. The world is, by definition, by definition evil. We're exhorted, by the way, in the Bible not to love the world. My dog turned three years old today. He's in his terrible threes rather than the terrible twos now. But when he was a little puppy, he had an addiction. His addiction was trash. I called him the trash man. Uh, he, he loved to eat trash. Now, he looks like a goat. Maybe he's part goat. I don't know. Goats like trash. Maybe that's why. But he loved trash. I mean, that he would eat trash. And, and still, once in a while, if he sees it, something, that he'll think about it. And you can see the, the little teeny wheels turning in his little teeny tiny brain. Uh, I'm going to eat that. And I, you don't eat trash. I don't know how many times. How many times do I say, you don't eat trash? Uh, he wants to. He, he, I don't know why, but he, he likes it. You're not supposed to eat trash. And by the way, Christian, you're not supposed to love the world either. I'm not supposed to love the world either. But often we do. James 4.4 4, uh, and 4.5 speaks the same, the same thing. In our text, back just a few pages, we, we see that idea Demas, by the way, we won't take time to turn there for sake of time tonight, but 2 Timothy chapter 4, Demas became worldly. It was the world. It was the world without that lured Demas away and off course. That's how he ended up in the ditch. And Christian, can I tell you that you and I are in danger of ending up in the ditch or backsliding in our spiritual walk with the Lord when we get enamored with the world, when you love the things of the world more than you love the things of God. And by the way, I would venture to say that most Christians, most, I, I, and I don't think that's a bold statement to say that, I think most Christians are more in love with the world than we are with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're, we're more in love with the world than we are the things of God. And we wonder why we're struggling in our Christian walk. I wonder why. <laughs> I don't know why I'm having such a hard time. Because you love the world. Because we have a great enemy, the world without. Number two, the second enemy is the flesh within. The flesh within. 
We could spend some time looking at 1 Corinthians. We won't tonight. 1 Corinthians, some message to the church of Corinth. It was a carnal church. It was a church that had the flesh in control. I saw a video today on Facebook. My little nephew, he's been sick. He had a, some kind of uh, kid's cold virus a few days. and He's been fever-free for a couple days, so my sister took him out. They went on the farm and wandering around. And they have a side-by-side, and my sister put up a video of my little nephew, Luke. He's four years old, driving the side-by-side. Now, my sister's sitting beside of him, and she's pressing the gas, but he's sitting in the driver's seat. Just driving that thing. Uh, I think he drives better than Rebecca, Josh. Maybe I'll get Luke this summer. He can give her some lessons. But he, he's, he's driving it. Now, when I first saw he was driving, I'm watching the video on my phone. Just, oh, I'll, check, I'll watch this real fast. And I saw he's behind the wheel, and he was, he was going fast. And I thought to myself, because I'm a dad, uh, I thought, Man, I hope somebody's ready to hit that brake. I mean, he's really going fast. And then I realized in the video, oh, his legs don't even reach. His little legs don't even reach the gas. My sister was pressing the gas. She had the gas and the brake. It was okay, but he had the steering wheel. Christian, a lot of times, our flesh takes the wheel. And it's the one steering. Oh, no, 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 I love the Lord. Then why is, why is your flesh making all your decisions? Oh, no, 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 I just, I, I'm just trying to take care of me. No, your flesh is making the decisions. And the flesh within, that old nature, the old man, this body of flesh, that's why we groan. The Bible says that look, waiting for that day of redemption because we, there's that constant battle with the flesh. David had that battle when he walked on top of his rooftop when he should have been somewhere else, he was supposed to be doing the work of the king, but he wasn't. By the way, Christian, when we don't do the work of our king, we end up in a place where our flesh sees opportunity it should not see. David ended up calling Bathsheba to him and committing adultery with her and then covering up the adultery, murdering a man. All of that happened. Because David let the flesh. By the way, David, a man who loved the Lord. Not a man who hated God. A man who loved the Lord. A man after his own heart. But David's flesh was in control for a bit. I think one of the great judges, Samson. I mean, Samson, I I like Samson. I mean, Samson grabbed the jawbone of an ass and went and killed a pile of people. I mean, he didn't have a... Uh, he didn't have a rifle or a shotgun, Brother Mon. He didn't have, he just, man, just grabbed it. I, and I don't even know for sure. I think he found it dead, found one, but maybe he ripped one right out of the side of a living animal. I don't know. All I know is that was all he had, and he went and fought for the Lord. What a powerful man. But that same man also over and over and over laid his head in Delilah's lap. That same man said, boy, i got to have her. <laughs> That's all that matters. Mom and dad said, no, you have nothing to do with her. No, man, i got to have her. <laughs> man, she, she I, man, I, have you seen her? 
Man, I got to get back with her. I got to. His flesh was in control. Can I tell you, our flesh is what leads us over the bank. That's, we're in that danger, not only because of our flesh within, but number three, and I've got to hurry here the devil around. The devil around. The Bible says the devil is a roaring lion, seeketh about. 2 Corinthians says he appears as an angel of light. Revelation, 20, uh, Revelation 12 verse 20 says that he's the accuser of the brethren. How many of you ever knew an instigator? I used to have a roommate in college who was an instigator. I'm going to see him here in a couple of weeks when, I'm, when I go to Pastor Wilkerson's pastor's conference. He's a good guy, but he didn't used to be. Uh, he was instigator. Man, he could take two. He, he, you could put him in a room with two people that they were the best friends in all the world, Brother Ahmad. I mean, they, they would die for each other. And he could push the buttons. And he could, by the end of it, man, they'd be trying to kill each other after he instigated and got them going. The devil does that to you and me. He instigates us. Uh, by the way, Peter, Jesus said, Peter, the devil desires to have thee. The devil, devil is pushing those buttons. That's why Peter said over here, I don't know. I told you I don't know her. And he cursed and swore. I believe he cursed and swore trying to have a different speech. Oh, he must be telling the truth because one of Jesus' followers would never curse and swear. Yeah, the, those people must not have known some of the Jesus followers I know. But the fact is, it was the devil. I said all of us who are truly love and belong to the Lord Jesus Christ are in danger of backsliding. We see these three reasons why. Uh, number two, the Lord, and, and don't miss this, the Lord still loves his people when they fail, when we fall, when we backslide. We are still His. Amen. Amen. Don't miss that. We're still His. And He longs for us to return to full fellowship. Amen. He doesn't look down and say, yeah, you were kind of stupid, weren't you? Driving a little hard, weren't you? Yeah, you belong to be over there. Hey, you shouldn't have done that sin. You should have listened to my word. Yeah, I'm glad you're down there. I'm glad you're in a mess. That's what we think God does. But that's not our God at all. Our God is, I want you back. So much so that he said in the book of James, in the book of Galatians, hey, Christians, let's go and help them back. Let, let's lift them back where they ought to be. He loves us. I, his love is not contingent on my obedience, on my position. My position in Christ is because of him. He's promised to never let us go. Never cast us off. Hosea. The book of Hosea is an amazing book. It's a picture of God's people going away from God, defiling themselves. God pictures that in the prophet's wife leaving him and going off into whoredoms, being sold as a slave, as a whore. And the prophet because of his love, buys her back. 
He doesn't say, I don't want her. She's disgusting to me. It's revolting to me what she's done. He said, I, I love her and I want her back. Why? Because God wanted a picture of his love for you and for me. No matter what we do, God loves us. And he wants us back. He desires that closeness with us. That's why God led Paul and James to include those exhortations we read a while ago. Number three, when a believer backslides, it is our responsibility to care for him or her and to seek their recovery. Christian, that's your job. That's my job. You know, our job is not to be the judge and say, yep, I know why you're there. I told Bob that was going to happen. Just last week, I said, you know, if they don't straighten up, that's what we want to do about it. Or we want to be like in the story of the Good Samaritan. Oh, I don't want to get near that. I want to walk around on the other side like the religious, false religious people of the day. But God wants us like the Samaritan to go over and bind up the wounds and pull it, pour in the oil and to do what we can to bring them back. It's our job. That's the burden of the message we see in James chapter 5, verse 19. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him. It's not speaking about converting a lost person. By the way, let me help you with something. You don't convert anybody to Jesus Christ. I, I know we, we use some phraseology sometimes, but can I tell you that you have never converted anybody to Christ? Ever. Now, you have shared Christ with people, I hope. I hope you're doing that on a regular basis. You may have shared Christ with folks that believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope that's the case. I remember the first time I led someone to Christ when I was a young teenager. I've got, I've got that little, the, the boy's name in my Bible. His name was Roy. Uh, I could take you and show you his name. He wrote in my Bible, the very first person I led to Christ. Thousands of people since then I've got I've to share Christ with that have trusted Christ, but I didn't convert them. But we do... As believers, we are able to convert folks from the error of their ways. We're talking here, this truth is about a Christian, a brother or sister in Christ, as we're helping them back out of the ditch. That's the teaching of this passage. And we see that again, as I mentioned in Galatians 6. We won't go back there again. Uh, we see, though, in Galatians 6, it speaks about he who is spiritual. Now, I didn't call Sean... Sean was at Cornerstone when I went off the road in my Bronco. I didn't call Sean and say, hey, Sean. Sean was just finishing up high school. I didn't call Sean up and say he, probably, he was a new Christian. I didn't call him up and say, hey, Sean, can you walk up north and bring a rope and tie a rope around my truck and pull me out of the ditch? You know why? Sean didn't have a vehicle. And it, he couldn't get me out of the ditch. He wasn't in a position to be able to help me. That wasn't where he was in his life. He didn't have a vehicle. I called someone who I knew had a vehicle with four-wheel drive. Somebody who could drive and, and had a winch and had ability to help me. 
By the way, Christian, that's one of the reasons we ought to be careful about our walk with Christ so we can be able to help others. So often we're struggling to the point where we need somebody to help us. We can't help anybody because we're not spiritual, as the Bible says in Galatians 6. If we apply it spiritually, not physically like a vehicle, we're not spiritual. Number four, the recovery of a backslider needs to be undertaken with love and humility and by someone who is filled with the Holy Spirit. I can't remember where I was one time. I watched as a car was stuck and somebody was trying to help him. And I watched from a distance as he hooked a toe strap underneath the front of a car. And the guy got in the car and pulled off real fast, trying to yank him out. Josh knows what happened. He's seen it happen before. Ripped the whole front clip off that car. (laughs) They didn't hook it to the frame. They hooked it, and the whole front clip went flying, hit the back of the truck that pulled it out. It was bad. I laughed so hard. I enjoyed it. I wish I had a video. I'd watch it over and over and over, Brother Mott, if I had a video. It was more entertaining than Hollywood. Let me tell you right now, it was great. But that, that was not the way to do it. That's not the way to do it. And by the way, so often when we go to try to help someone and we go with bitterness, judgmentalness, anger, how dare you do that? How dare you? You're not going to help. I've got to undertake with love, with humility. The humility we see. Uh, well, turn turn to Galatians six. Let's turn back there again. I want you to. I want to see how those verses unfold. Helps us understand this a little better. Number one, we must be specially qualified to do this work. Notice the text there, you who are spiritual. You who are spiritual. We've got to be qualified. You know, if you're down in the ditch in your spiritual life, you can't come along and say, hey, can I help you get out of the ditch? What? You're where I am. How are you going to help me? I've been stuck a few times in my life. That was one of them. I've been stuck in that vehicle. I got stuck twice. I don't like getting stuck. But the worst I was ever stuck, just about, was in a minivan in a field in Saskatchewan. Now, I did not go purposely into that field in Saskatchewan. My wife and I and my kids were driving back from the U.S. and hit a freak freezing rainstorm. And I believe that that's where the devil lives is in Saskatchewan. I'm pretty sure. Sorry, Brother Darren. I know it's a sweet spot for you, but it's where the devil lives. But we, we hit ice storm and we did a 360 on the road. The trailer we were pulling behind our minivan came off, rolled out into a field. The dear old farmer, uh, Christian there, 
who helped me. He's in heaven now, brother. Uh, oh, forgot his name now. Wonderful Christian. Um, I'll think of it probably as soon as I get home in bed tonight. Brother Clive. But we finally got on the road with the van, trailers out in the middle of the field. And Carrie said, what are we going to do? I said, we got to get off of this road. We'll have to figure that out later. <laughs> we can't get that trailer right now. So we're, the road was getting really bad. Cars, I was going as slow as the vehicle would go without touching the brake on the highway. I had it in first gear, the automatic transmission in first gear. I knew if the roads were so bad, if you hit the brakes at all, you were gone. And I've never seen roads like that. And I'm trying, you know, front-wheel drive in first gear and going along. And all of a sudden, didn't touch the brakes, didn't touch the wheel, didn't go any faster. But all of a sudden, <laughs> and I managed to keep it from rolling. Uh, but we ended up in a field. That was the beginning of a very long night. Because someone who had good intentions stopped to help us. They had good intentions, but they did not have the ability to help us. I was wearing, I believe I was wearing a shirt and tie. We were in church somewhere that night driving across the border. I'm in dress shoes, freezing rainstorm. I got out. Guy tried to pull us out. He got stuck. By the time it ended up, it sounded like a country song, but the Hutterite truck never showed up. But he got stuck. Another person stopped to help us. Also did not have the ability to help. Had a great heart, but did not know what they were doing. They got stuck. Eventually, there was three or four of us all stuck. It was a nightmare. I've got my wife and girls in the in the car. I've got five miles back down the road. I've got a trailer with all my belongings laying side, upside down in a field. I, it was a bad night. Until praise the Lord. This giant jacked up 4x4 four four pickup truck with some young guys came in. They drove out into the middle of the field, did a few donuts playing around, came up beside of us. Y'all need some help? Yes, please. <laughs> and they helped everybody. Got us all back on the road. Christians, so often, we don't help people because we're not qualified to help people. Or we don't help people because if we try, we're going to fail because we're not spiritual. It's one of the reasons we need to walk guard around our spiritual relationship is so we can be helpful to others. Your life's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ and others. We need to be specially qualified. The Bible speaks about here. An unsurrendered worldly Christian engaging in that work of helping others will do more harm than good. Number two in this passage, we see we must be determined. I'm not going to ask you to turn back there. We've looked at it a couple times, but in James, we see the word restore him. Restore him. It, it takes some determination. We're, we're not to have the cold shoulder to the backslider. Rather, our reaction should be, okay, I'm going to help. I'm going to do what I can to help. Number three, we must be humble. 
we must be humble. If a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Can I tell you, a holier-than-thou attitude won't help. By the way, a holier-than-thou attitude basically means you're already in the ditch in your spiritual life. Oh, no, I'm better than them. No, if that's the attitude, you're already down there. You just don't know it yet. You've been there a long time. Oh, your car may be clean, no mud on the tires, uh, but you're off the road. You're off the road. We've got to be humble. We've got to realize, look, I'm made of the same stuff you are. That one that has backslidden. I have the same flesh. I, I, I could be in the same situation. Number four, we must remember 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I read for you quickly. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. How many have ever fallen on the ice before? Every person here probably. <laughs> I remember the first time I went ice skating. First time ever. I don't skate at all. I don't roller skate. First time I went roller skating, I broke this arm in two places, compound fracture. I was a little kid, but I, I'm not a skater. First time I went ice skating, I fell so many times. I still have bruises. I'm still a little bit sore, and that was 30 years ago. Oh, my, I'm getting old. That was 31 years ago. But I, I remember the second time I went ice skating, and I've only been a few times. But I remember thinking, Brother Royce, I think I got it. You know, I... I wasn't, you know, doing crazy stuff. Of course, I didn't grow up playing hockey. I grew up in West Virginia. Uh, you know, I didn't know what hockey was. I thought that was just a good excuse to fight. But and that's what it is, really. But I, you know, I didn't know anything about ice skating or hockey. Or, but I, 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 I kind of got this. And I remember I was kind of got this, and I saw this girl. You know, she was kind of cute. Smiled, you know, look impressive. I'm <laughs> going by this girl, man. I know how to ice skate. And just as soon as she looked at me, whoosh, I fell. I didn't have much game, Bon. Was, it didn't work well for me that night. Uh, I thought I had it, but I fell. Our attitude must be, brother, I'm sorry this happened. Could have happened to me. And let me help you and let me be careful that I don't end up like you are. We need to realize the seriousness of the situation. It's, we must really look, and look, you're already open there, I believe, in Galatians 6.2. We really need to understand that our job is to share our brother's need in helping Verse 2, it says, bear ye one another's burdens, and so forth for the law of Christ. That's what that verse means. i I got to share the need and the burden. 
Number five, and we'll close with this thought, a couple of points quickly. When a backslider has been restored, when a backslider has been restored, the resulting blessing is enormous. It's enormous. We see that, and let's turn back to James as we close out the last verse here in our study. In James chapter 5, verse 20, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. We see two things. Two things that happen when we go and help our brother, help our sister out of the ditch. Help them get back to where they ought to be. Love them and encourage them. Shepherd their soul, if you will. The Bible tells us two things that happen. Number one, very many, very many sins are hidden. Very many sins are hidden. Now, think about this when a sin is repented of, confessed, and forsaken. It's at once covered, blotted out, forgotten, the Bible says. You know, we think, you know, we sin, no matter how small or how big, and we all have this idea of how, you know, this, is, this, this sin's okay, this sin's okay, but this is the bad sin. And all of us, that bad sin is different. It's, it's somebody else's sin. That's the bad one. You know, Brother Mark's bad sin is different than Colton's bad sin. Uh, because, you know, Mark likes Colton's sin. Colton likes Mark's sin. You know, they, they, that's the way it works. Our brain, it's so crazy. But sin is sin, by the way. And when we confess it, we get this idea, as long as it's a little sin, it's over. But if it was a big sin... You know, that, that one, God's going to stick our nose in it a bunch. You know, when you train a, train a puppy, I didn't have to train my puppy because Joyce raised him and trained him before I got him. She's the greatest dog puppy raiser in the history of puppy raisers. But she probably had to do this with him. I didn't have to because she did. But I've raised, I've raised dogs. And when you're house training a dog, if a, a dog in the house or messes in the house. I'm not saying this is the only way to do it, but, you know, as you're saying, no, no. I mean, you want to take them outside. You know, this happens outside. You want to quickly carry them. But when you're reinforcing, a lot of times I've you take and kind of put their nose down. No. Make sure they know what's going on. Hey, don't you do this again. Remind them, hey, you don't do this. We think that's what God does with us. But God says when we confess it, he doesn't remember it anymore. It's gone. That's a wonderful thing. On the way to church tonight, if you, if you heard me pull in, you might have heard my rear right brake. I'm hoping my wife doesn't die tomorrow while she drives it. I'm going to fix it Friday, I promise. But it just all of a sudden started. It's, it's lovely. But it's the back brakes. You don't really even need back brakes. You can survive, right? You're good with front brakes. But it, 
it's uh, it's kind of kind of loud. Uh, when Friday, when I change that brake, praise the Lord, put some new pads on the back. It's going to be gone. That noise will be gone. Can I tell you the very moment sin is confessed and forsaken, it's gone. It's a wonderful thing. That's a how wonderful that we can help. We don't have time tonight, but Proverbs 28, 13, Psalm 32, verse 1, Isaiah 44, 22, Isaiah 43, verse 25. How wonderful the fact that the sin is gone. Number two, the second blessing of restoring is the restored one is saved from death. The restored one is saved from death. Now, Christian, we're not talking about spiritual death here. We're not talking about being saved from hell. So often we read that, and that's, that's our thinking, saved from hell. That, that's not the teaching of the book of James. The book of James is written to Christians. Rather, there is a sin unto death. There is a point, I believe, that happens as a Christian if we continue to refuse to get right with the Lord, that God might just take us home. The Bible's plain about that. We see it in the book of, uh, we see it in Corinthians, speaking of the taking of the Lord's Supper wrongly. We, we see that in several passages. I can't die spiritually, but I can sure die physically. I believe there are many Christians who the Lord has to take home early. And the sad part about that is I wonder how many of them who continue in sin until finally the Lord says, okay, I'm going to just take you home. I wonder how many of those folks never had one Christian say, hey, can I help you? Can I, can I encourage you? Hey, I love you, brother. Hey, I'm praying for you. So often we fail to realize the importance that we have as believers of restoring, of helping, of pulling out of the ditch, if you will. We need to be concerned not only to win the lost, we ought to win the lost. We ought to, we ought to be sharing the gospel more. And we're, we're creating right now more tools to help you help us do a better job at that. But we need to do more than that. We need to love. We need to win back and care for those, the people of God, when they wander away. May we realize the importance of the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray together. Lord, so many things we could still share and think about tonight. Oh, my heart is heavy those that are away from you. Lord, I pray that we would have the right attitude. God, I pray that we would love as Christ loves. God, help us not to be bitter, angry. And God, help us not to be judgmental. But God, help us to have the love of Christ. Lord, maybe we would be looking for those out of the way. Not that we may laugh or mock or judge, but Lord, that we may help.
we may encourage, that we may restore, that we may convert from the error of their way. Lord, help us to be spiritual. Help us to walk guard around our relationship with you. Lord, may we realize how easily we can wander. May we realize that we need to keep ourselves available to help others. Lord, I pray tonight that we would realize the shortcomings in our own lives and our own walks with the Lord. Lord, that we may seek to get back on track. Lord, that we would allow others who are spiritual to help us. Lord, I pray you be glorified. Help us tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your love. In your precious name we pray. Amen.